You're on the panel, RNZ National. Good to be with you. Claire Robinson and Mark Knopf-Thomas on today. Now, a house asking prices have dropped $10,000 per month on average. This from a new report out today from property website realestate.co.nz. New figures showing the national average asking price for houses has continued to decline. The average price is down 7.2% from the start of the year at $921,000 and could fall to $890,000 by the end of the year. Southland, they bucked the trend, hitting a record high of just over $542,000 last month. Dr. Michael Ream is a senior lecturer in property at the University of Auckland Business School. Dr. Ream, kia ora. Hi. Is the market crashing or is it cooling down? Oh, boy. Um, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I would say uh, the market is possibly crashing, um, but it depends on what kind of levers and policies uh, the government and any future government might pull to kind of stop it from crashing. Uh, but right now, I would say that it's in the process of crashing is what I would I would say. Okay. It's in the process of crashing. It, it does come off the back of some pretty historic highs, you know, you, you 20 or 30% increase year on year, doesn't it? It does. Um, and it comes off of those highs when uh, everybody and their dog thought the market was going to come down with the pandemic. But um, so much money got flooded into the market, it pushed prices even higher. What many... We'll be worrying about today, listen to this, and this has been a story uh, today. It won't be the end of it, will it? Where's the bottom? Uh, how much further will they fall? Oh, yeah, another million-dollar question. Um, well, if you look at the fundamentals, um, the key one is incomes, because uh, it's our incomes that end up paying the uh, home loans back to the banks. Um, it, it could go a lot further down. Um, I, would, mm. I would guess as, as much as 70%. Which is pretty crazy if you think what? about it, but uh, that's that's how far it could go down if we're going to get down to a fundamental uh, relationship between our incomes and house prices. Seventy percent. Let's bring in our panel, Claire Robinson. Mm, um, are you? Uh, <laughs> it's a bit worrying. <laughs> <laughs> what about what? So, what about the impact of immigration? Because obviously, at the moment, we haven't had large numbers of um, people coming into the country, and so that has that squash demand. So once in the next couple of years, once immigration ramps up a little bit more, will we see that impacting on house prices? Uh, possibly. Um, I mean, but we haven't had immigration for a while, but there was a period where house prices went up that crazy 45%. Mm. Um, mm. So I think a lot of people go back to the uh, age-old uh, economics 101 supply and demand, but there's more uh, I think important factors such as credit expansion and now credit contraction is what we're having at the moment that drives the markets more. Mm. We're also never happy, are we? Because when the um, house prices went up, we were complaining that they were going up too high and Very made true. houses unaffordable. And now we're complaining because they're dropping so fast. But I do think that um, it, it has something to do with that magic equation of affordability. But what is the what is the optimal affordability of a of a house? compared to income at the moment? Uh, well, at the moment, it's uh, it's nowhere close to being affordable. Mm. Um, I, the the kind of rule of thumb would be somewhere around uh, three times your income. Um, but, of course, if you take the, uh, say, median income of 100000 multiply that by three, well, we're nowhere close to $300,000 house. Yeah, what are we around 10 times, uh, aren't we? Yeah, 
Mm. Yeah. All right. Mark Knopf Thomas. Uh, uh, it's according to Michael yeah. here uh, on the cusp of a crash. Others have said otherwise. What's your take? Um, I think that it's a very weird paradigm shift at the moment. So the cost of housing is is coming down, but it has seen you know meteoric rises in the past few years. Um, I do feel very sorry for people who purchased property in the last couple of years, though, because they're going to see their gains gone very quickly. Um, but what I think is particularly interesting is the cost of price housing coming down and the cost of building going up and uh, how that's going to play out in terms of rebalancing the market. And, and to Claire's point, if, for example, there was uh, you know massive changes to immigration and we saw a government whatever it is after the election next year, whether it's Labour or National, deciding to reopen the immigration gates like fully wide, uh, that may have some impact in sort of bolstering the, you know, any further declines. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a, such a political hot potato for yeah. middle New Zealand because this is our, everyone's nest egg is pretty much in their home. And that's the case, isn't it, uh, Dr. Reem? This is why uh, it is an issue. Um, people uh, listening to this will, I mean, many will resonate with these issues and listening closely to this. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. The government is uh, uh, trying to encourage us all to have those nest eggs. Um, it's a concept called asset-based welfare, where we kind of take care of ourselves thanks mm. to the, uh, the, the wealth that we have in our assets. But uh, it's it's bittersweet because although you say a lot of people get happy when prices go up, um, I mean, I have kids that are outside the market looking in, yeah. and uh, I don't know how in the world they're going to get in. I mean, I only have so much equity I could share with them and guarantee their loans. It's very difficult. Dr. M. Kiora, thank you for your time. Uh, Mike Rims, Senior Lecturer in Property at the University of Auckland uh, Business School. Uh, meanwhile, the Healthy Homes Initiative aimed at making rental properties warmer and drier has helped 142,000 people, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said at uh, the 3pm stand-up this afternoon. The government's Healthy Homes regulations set minimum standards for insulation, heating, moisture drainage, ventilation and draft stopping for all rental properties. So for a response on that is the Sustainability Trust Chief Executive, Georgie Ferrari. Kia ora, Georgie. Kia ora, Willis. Nice to be with you. Good to have you on. So the government is touting it as a success. You've carried out thousands of healthy homes assessments. What are you thinking? What are you seeing? Well, we agree. I think this is a program that is a really great example of the fence at the top of the cliff rather than an ambulance at the bottom. It's a really good um, public health initiative, and, um, and we, we couldn't agree more with the government on this program. So the Healthy Homes Initiative is different to the Healthy Homes Standards, but they sort of interact. Yeah. And I can talk about that a little bit if you want me to get into a lot of geek detail. Well, what, explain that. I mean, what, what are the main issues when you carry out these Healthy Homes Assessments? What, what are you seeing? Sure. So the Healthy Homes Initiative is a program where if a family presents um, to um, uh, the hospital or to a doctor and they're showing signs of conditions that, that may indicate the home that they're living in is not as healthy as we'd like, then they may get referred, referred to the Healthy Homes Initiative. Um, and if they meet the criteria, then they'll get an assessment from one of our, um, one of our workers who will go out and visit the house. And we see a range of things. I've got a, a great case study here that was just given to me by one of our staff, um, which I can go into if you'd like. Sure. To give you an, an outline. Sure. It's a rental property in the Porirua area. A family of nine are living in a four-bedroom house. 
we got a referral from a wonderful public health nurse in the area because the child, a child in that house who was five, um, was sick and really showing obvious signs of suffering from cold, damp housing, respiratory illnesses and the like, and, you know, repetitive visits and obviously not getting better. Um, the first thing we found when we, when we arrived was that the property manager who was looking after this house was trying to take this family to task over having a dirty oven and trying to evict them on those grounds. So we um, started talking to the property manager and, and trying to get to the bottom of the issues. We found immediately that there was no underfloor insulation in this house, which was a direct breach of the healthy home standards that you mentioned, Wallace, um, which is where they interact really nicely with the work that we're doing. Um, we alerted the property manager to it, and that work was done straight away. They weren't evicted, and we were able to support that family further with okay. provide, providing them with portable heaters, giving them door snakes to stop drafts, window seals, LED light bulbs, things that will lower their um, electricity consumption, so their, their own personal costs, but also make their house warmer and, um, and, and safer for their whanau. Oh, nice one, Georgie. All right, thanks for that. That's Georgie Ferrari there uh, from the Sustainably Trust, the chief executive there. This uh, news out just this afternoon, um, the Healthy Homes Initiative uh, has helped 142,000 people. So uh, just very briefly uh, on that, Claire, what is it? A bit of a, seems to be going fairly well, a bit of a political tick, the chance of going to hospital will reduce well, by nearly 20%, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the issues are going to be, I think it's a great initiative, totally, totally support it. I think that the issues are going to be around how do you, how do we accurately measure whether, which bit is making the most difference? Um, because that's how, you know, you can, you can uh, support more and provide more resources into the areas that are making the most difference to these families. But I think it's, uh, we need to be rolling it out on a much bigger scale. 18 past four, the panel with Mark Knopf-Thomas and Dr Claire Robinson. Uh, thank you very much, by the way, for your responses about uh, being x-rayed, your feet being x-rayed in a shoe shop extraordinary talk about that in about five minutes time but for this as of the weekend just gone plastic takeaway packaging plastic stemmed cotton buds and some types of meat trays all now illegal to provide buy or sell so that means polystyrene takeaway food and drink packaging and pvc food trays that's your noodle cups some bin liners and dog poo bags and plastic drink stirrers does not include plastic straws the regulations apply to any individual business or retailer who sells or manufactures any of the targeted plastic items here. The Minister David Parker said on average every person sent about 750 kgs of waste to landfill. So that's all very good. But was there enough lead in time for business on this? Waste management expert at AUT, Dr. Jeff Seedens, with us. Dr. Seedens, kia ora. Good afternoon, Wallace. Well, look, the last takeaway I had was actually, what, two days ago, and it was lamb shawarma with hummus on rice. Mm, Deli- yeah, <laughs> delicious, I might add, with a polystyrene container, being out of the same place for years, polystyrene, and I cannot imagine what container they're going to use tomorrow. Your thoughts? They'd um, be moving towards things like uh, containers made from PET, um, it would be most likely or possibly um, polypropylene. Now, we've noticed that um, over the, the last few years that um, meat trays have moved away from being polystyrene to PET. So 
similar sort of thing would probably what they're going to be envisaged there, or else it'll be moving off into cardboard. Oh, it's a significant shift. Do you think there's been enough lead in time, or has it just come whack out of the blue? It has been signalled for quite a long time. So you know, those who have been following it would have seen those sorts of signals coming through up to about three years ago. And uh, it's just been quietly going through the um, the system, and now it's popped out. Um, businesses should be aware of uh, that this was coming up anyway. Well, my local kebab uh, takeaway, I'm not quite sure if they've uh, seen the memo on this. Mark, you're in retail. Uh, what about you? Yeah, so there's been quite a lot of columns that have come out from uh, from Wellington, but also places like us, business associations, lobby groups, HOSPO NZ, Restaurant Association, all been very active in this space. So I think there hasn't been a shortage of information. Um, There may be some translation issues with some businesses, potentially with international eateries. But I see this very much like the, you know, we managed to get rid of our single-use plastic bags very effectively without too much fuss. So, of course, there's going to be a bit of a bed-down period as people transition, but I think I don't see it being a big problem. Uh, stay there, Jeff. Let's bring in Claire. Oh, I think this is great. I think that the interesting thing about New Zealanders is that we will hang on until we're forced to do something um, as a general behavioural characteristic. And so actually by um, catching some people by surprise isn't going to be such a bad thing because but it's got they to, wouldn't it's, have it's, done it otherwise. My point is it's got to be practical as well, though. Yeah, but I, I mean, you would have had lots of takeaways apart from last night's shawarma that, that were in... Um, in paper mm. containers. So a lot more takeaway places are um, are dealing with that. I think still they're still trying to deal with the issue of leakage, which doesn't seem to be quite well resolved by, with the paper, the cardboard box. But we'll, we'll get there. Right. I think one of the interesting things, I went to America a month ago and I was just shocked at how much plastic is still being consumed really? through water bottles, through all sorts of things. And you come back to New Zealand and think, oh, we're so good on these things, but it's still not going to be until those big plastic consumers uh, of, you know, in terms of countries get rid of their plastics that we're going to see real change. Someone says, geez, what do we, what do, we do with the dog? Well, I was going to say, what do we do with the dog poos now? I walk the beach with my dog and there are bins to put your doggy do in with the bag. Do we just leave it now? A response, Mark, and we'll go back to Jeff. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically uh, what, one thing I've noticed, though, is that consumers are demanding more and more around sustainable packaging, especially younger consumers. So if, if people are sort of posting social media posts of, you know, their, their, Indian, their uh, shawarma on Instagram, for example, they're going to get a whole lot of feedback from people saying, hey, you can't use that anymore. So people are very uh-huh. active in their it's just It's an interesting movement. Do you agree with that, Jeff? Actually, uh, at the end of the day, this is also not, as, n- not just about regulation, but it's actually about people power. Yeah, people power are one of the drivers to get things going. But the main thing is that people will support a change. If we move uh, to the environmental science side of things and and look at it from those aspects, it's not quite as rosy as what you think. Um, Because if you look at it, the the main focus of all these bans has been around the the litter area. And most people don't litter with their, um, say, their... um, plastic drink stirrers or their cotton buds, they tend to dispose of them. But we're finding that around the seashores, which some of which is from New Zealand, a lot of which is carried from overseas. Mm. 
But we also find that plastics are, um, are one of the smaller um, waste streams that are found in landfills. Yeah? They're at number four, and they only represent 8% of what we're disposing of. Good heavens. If we go to the, yeah, if we go to the, the stuff that's really making the impact, we get to construction and demolition Building waste. materials, exactly. Yeah. They're terrible. And, is yeah. that is that you know we had um, three years ago we had the I've been thinking from one Michelle Bogue, and she brought up the issue of um, waste in construction. Mm. She said it was a really huge issue that no one was talking about. Mm. You agree? I agree. I totally agree. My partner's a builder, and the waste. I've said to him, you could make a lot of money if you went into zero waste um, building supplies, Um, but he hasn't picked up that idea. (laughs) Jeff? Recently, we did a um, a study on a a residential build just to see what um, what was being produced and what could be done with it and found that 93% of what was being produced could actually be recycled Mm. in one way or another. And then we go back further to look at the design phase, and there's a big question. How much waste is being generated at the design phase? Oh, Jeff, we're going to come back to waste in construction. But for now, kia ora, thank you for your time. That's Dr Jeff Seaton, a waste management expert at uh, AUT. A lot of response coming through about this plastic announcement. Uh, Paul here, I use biodegradable kitchen bags for dog poos. I use my bread bags for dog poos. So what do you use when you need to pick up after your dog? That seems to be um, a subject of interest uh, for our listeners here. 26 past four. Well... Decades-old shoe store Gubbs first opened in 1946 and become somewhat of a retail institution in Wellington. Generations of Wellingtonians went to get their footwear at Gubbs over the 76 years. Uh, and the closing. But it did get me thinking of somebody saying to me some years ago that they used to have X-ray machines in stores. And I said, well, that can't be right. Really? X-ray machines? Is it true? With us is Dimitri from Ototahi Christchurch. Welcome, Dimitri. Hi, Wallace. Pleased to meet you. Pleasure to have you on. Did they? Yes, indeed. Uh, in 1955, my memory is when we first came to New Zealand, uh, we would drive to Hannah's shoe store in Cashel Street uh, on late night Friday. The shops closed at 9 o'clock. And our trusty uh, 1953 Austin Somerset. And um, uh, purchase in Cyprus, I might add, but that's beside the point. Um, Yeah, so you'd go into the shop and there was a a, a structure that resembled a church um, lectern. So you'd sort of hold it at the top and you'd stop it. Your feet would uh, tuck underneath. And they turn on the, the magic rays, and you, there was a little screen thing that uh, would at the top of the lectern, I think, and then you could see your feet inside the shoes that you were trying on. What? So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, so okay. You, yeah, keep you, going, you Dimitri. You as many X-rays as you needed, depending on how many shoes, different models you wanted to try on. So uh, well, they, were, they were very accurate. Kia ora, Dimitri. I need to actually test that um, theory to see if um, that isn't just a one-off. With us now is Sue from Raumati Beach. Sue? Hello. What about you? 
Yes, we had it done whenever we went to um, the shoe shop to have new shoes. We thought it was really exciting. Oh, and wow. t- uh, Mark, well, we've got someone from the Newmarket Business Association here. Mark, <laughs> can you confirm that any of your shoe shops in uh, Newmarket has has no X-ray machines? Um, I'm 99.9% sure, Wallace, that none of my retailers have X-ray machines to do shoes. Um, so were the retail assistants also radiologists? <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. Is any, anyone doing an X-ray? That's uh, certainly interesting. So what would happen? Well, it was much the same as the um, previous caller said. Um Yes, you stood in the right place and you could see actually see the picture. Um, that's why it was so exciting. I mean, we were excited about getting new shoes, but this added to the excitement. Wow. Well, mm. so I'm this actually speaking... Yeah, keep this going. in the UK. This wasn't in New Zealand. That one's in the UK. Dimitri, though, had, uh, there were x-rays at Hannah's shoe store on Cashel Street. Um, Claire, have you ever heard of this? 